Good evening. It's good to see everybody tonight. It's great to be here as always. Excited for the opportunity to share with you tonight. So um, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42. Everybody there? Does anybody need a Bible? We're all good? Excellent. Praise the Lord. All right, Luke 10, 38. Luke writes, Now it happened as they went that he, that is Jesus, entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that we live in a country God, where we can gather together freely without fear of persecution and open up a book that is available to each and every single one of us and to read your word, to see your heart, Lord, to hear your voice. And I pray, Lord, that tonight we wouldn't take it for granted, God, but that we recognized how blessed and how privileged we are. And Lord, that we would be careful to be doers of your word and not hearers only. And Father, we just take this time, we commit it into your hands, trusting that your spirit is going to cause these words to raise up off of this page and impact us afresh in our lives right where we are tonight. So Father, speak to us. Lord, uh, give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say to the church, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, um, you know, I was praying about what to share tonight, and um, I just really felt like the Lord put this passage on my heart, and primarily that's because, you know, as I look around, and I'm listening to a lot of, you know, the conversations that are taking place here in California, I'm looking out, at, you know, the world at large, at what's going on around the world, and in our neck of the woods in Cyprus, and, you know, there's just so much happening right now. So many cares, so many concerns, you know, so many things going on. And I just really felt like the Lord wanted me to communicate something that would serve as a kind of an anchor for us, you know, in the immediate days ahead. And he led me, you know, to this passage, Um, you know, just talking with Pastor Tony before service tonight and hearing Brett share just now, you know, um, I, I don't know these guys as well as I'd like to, but I get the impression that they're a bit tired, like a lot of us, right? You know, there's just a lot on their plates, um, like the rest of us, and, and, and we just need something, you know, that's going to serve as an anchor, you know, in the days to come, something that's just going to be, can provide us with a continual source of energy and strength and inspiration for the times ahead. And so I trust that the Lord's going to provide us with that as we look more closely at this passage tonight. Um, let's, let's start again from the beginning. Luke uh, 10, 38. It begins with these simple words. It says, Now it happened as they went that he, that is Jesus, entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Um, 
at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's kind of riding the wave of popularity. He has, uh, you know, wowed the, the multitudes with his teaching and with his miracles and everything else. And he is on um, a pretty rigorous, um, you know, circuit ministry at this point. And, uh, you know, it's an intense time in, in his life. You know, he's got the cross ahead of him. He's got the demands of, you know, his, his disciples and the people all around him pressing in on every side. Um, you know, the, what's happening in his ministry, in spite of the fact that it's, you know, very humble in appearances, you know, is incalculable in terms of its, its estimate. You know, Jesus had on his shoulders the daily, hourly concerns of, of mankind's redemption. You know, the spiritual warfare that was taking place in his life, in the life of his disciples, in the life of his friends, uh, you know, and in his ministry, um, you know, must have been, you know, uh, insurmountable. I mean, at this point in his ministry, there was demands being made by many of his followers that he would become the next king of Israel. You know, you've got Peter on this side, you know, um, acting as a tool of the devil, you know, trying to stumble him in his, uh, in, in his um, you know, path to the cross. And so with all of this stuff kind of, you know, weighing on him, uh, you can imagine that coming to a place where he was able to just rest for a minute would have been really precious in his sight. I mean, you think about just a few of the things that Jesus said, you know, regarding himself. He, at one point he said, you know, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I mean, think about that in light of, you know, everything that he was carrying upon himself at that time. In another portion of scripture, Jesus says, you know, whatever city or town you enter into in in relationship to his disciples going out and doing ministry, he said, inquire who is in it that is worthy and stay there until you go out. Well, we read here in uh, verse 38 that Jesus finds a place where he's able to lay his head for a moment. A place where uh, he would consider to be worthy of his presence, worthy of you know, his, his staying there. Mary and Martha had a home. And from Jesus' estimate, they were worthy you know, of him coming there, resting, taking you know, um, a break from this uh, you know, intense uh, you know, schedule that he was you know, trying to live by. What an incredible testimony to these two sisters. And um, we're told that uh, as Jesus came into their home, that Martha welcomed him into her house. Verse 39, it says, And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Um, Looking at Mary for just a moment, we don't know much about Mary. Uh, We can safely assume that she's probably the younger sister. We're told that the house uh, apparently belonged to Martha, which would suggest that she was the older sister, the senior sister. Um, But when we look at Mary, I mean, we're not given a a lot of information about this woman. We're, we're, you know, uh, we all know who she is. She's famous in the scriptures, but we don't know that much about her. You know, she's not famous because of her accomplishments. She's not famous because because of you know, some spiritual exploit that she carried out in the pages of Scripture. We know her primarily as the woman who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. She was a worshiper. 
And really, that's about all we're given much insight into her life. If you look at John chapter 11, verse 2, it says that it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. In either of these gospels, when you look at the life of Mary, you find this woman worshiping Jesus. She just was enamored with his person, with who he was, and couldn't get enough of him. And that's what makes her famous in you know, our estimate. But before we look at her more closely, I want to you know, stop and, and focus on Martha for a minute. Uh, we're told that Martha is the one who welcomed Jesus into her home. Again, we don't have a whole lot of information about Martha. We, we know that she's uh, apparently the owner of the home. We don't know if she's a widow, um, sorry, a widower, if she had you know, received this home as the result of her husband passing away. It would appear that they are like uh, wealthy family on the basis of the fact that they own a home, first of all. Secondly, Mary uh, in the Gospel of John is seen, you know, breaking an expensive um, uh, bottle of perfume uh, in order to, uh, you know, um, anoint Jesus. And also the fact that their brother Lazarus was buried in a hewn tomb. Yeah, you had to have some money in the bank in order to be able to afford a lot of these things. So, you know, we, we kind of get this idea that they were a well-to-do family in any case. Beyond that, we, we can only glean a little bit about Martha, about her reaction to the different things that are going on in her life in uh, the Gospels of Luke and, and John. Um, in both uh, Luke and John, we find Martha serving so we, we understand, you know, that she is an active woman. She's a go-getter. She likes to be busy. Um, we also pick up the, the idea that she's a, a sensitive woman. She's, you know, um, aware of what's going on around her, you know, even her attitude towards her sister in this um, particular scenario suggests that, uh, you know, she was a sensitive woman. In, in the Gospel of John, we see her uh, compassion. We see her, um, you know, love love for her brother. Um, we also know that she's hospitable. Um, the fact that she's brought in Jesus and, and his followers to care for their needs and to minister to them when she has the opportunity. Um, uh, but again, probably the most dominant characteristic we have of Martha is that she is an active kind of go-getter sort of character. Even in the Gospel of John, when Lazarus is dead, Martha isn't the one who waits at the house for Jesus to arrive. Uh, you know, she gets up and she goes out and, and meets him as he's coming into town, um, you know, to, you know, talk to him there. So coming back to Luke here, um, it says that, uh, you know, she's looking around at what's going on in her home at this point. Um, verse 40, it says, Martha was distracted with much service, with much serving, and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Therefore, tell her to help me. Uh, when I look at these two sisters, you know, um, I, I find myself identifying more with Martha than I do Mary, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, think about it. You know, most of us can probably sympathize with Martha. You know, uh, I wish, 
You know that I could stand here this evening and tell you that I was more, you know, the spiritual one, like, you know, Mary, who has this kind of, you know, just this natural bend to me where I'm just always at the feet of Jesus, always got an ear to the master's voice, you know, that sort of thing. But the simple reality is, is that, you know, that's not the case. I'm more of a Martha. And I suspect that's probably the case for a lot of us here because, you know, when you're doing something, when you're active, when you're moving and, and, you know, making things happen, it's measurable, right? You know, at the end of the day, you're able to sit back and say, okay, I got this, 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 and that done, you know, and okay, it was, you know, an all right day or it was a great day or, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, having the, uh, you know, being more like Mary is a little more challenging to kind of measure, you know, your progress. And so I think a lot of us have a kind of a, a sympathy towards Martha. We can understand, you know, uh, how she feels. She's looking around at her sister Mary, uh, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words, and Martha's running around trying to make sure all the guests are taken care of. The, you know, the, you know, everyone's coffee cups are filled, and the, you know, the food's good, and everything's, you know, moving forward nicely. Uh, but Jesus has a word that he uses to describe Mary, and that is the word distracted, right? Martha is, uh, you know, a woman who is distracted. Um, Jesus says of her, you know, you are worried and troubled about so many things. And, and when I think about that, distracted, I think that's probably one of the most uh, accurate words to describe the world that most of us live in today. Uh, yeah, amen? Yeah, There is so much going on in our lives all of the time. And that's not to say that, you know, the busyness, the activity and everything is bad necessarily. But, you know, we are, by and large, a a generation of people that are probably more distracted than any other generation before us. Distracted by what? What does uh, Jesus say you know, to, to Martha, you are worried and troubled, um, you know, with much serving. She approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve alone? And, and you know, we we're told earlier that, you know, Martha was distracted with much serving. In other words, hard work. I mean, she didn't just have Jesus. She probably had a bunch of his disciples as well. And you can imagine, you know, coming in off of the dirty, dusty Middle Eastern roads, they would have, you know, probably not smelt so good and needed, you know, tending and cleaning and, and everything else. You know, uh, she was doing legitimate work. It wasn't that, you know, she was just, you know, wasting time. And like most of us, you know, we're distracted with the same sort of things. We're distracted with serving. We're distracted with hard work. You know, we all, most of us here tonight have families. We have husbands, we have wives, we have children, we have jobs, studies. You know, we have this, you know myriad of other things in our lives that are constantly, you know, bidding for our time, our attention. And, uh, you know, it's a, 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 our lives are full of people. Right? People that we love, people that we care about, people that have legitimate needs. Again, husbands, wives, children, friends, coworkers, classmates, you know, whatever hat they may wear. When I look at, 
you know, Pastor Rob and, and Brett and the leadership and the staff here in the church and, you know, at our church back home, um, I see, you know, men and women who are uh, busy doing important things, active, serving, you know, this endless list of commitments that, uh, you know, can just have us spinning if we're not careful. And, you know, you might be, you know, reading through this with me this evening and thinking, you know, yeah, Martha, you know, I, I can relate to what you're saying. She, she says, Lord, do you not care that I'm, you know, busy serving while Mary's sitting at your feet? Have you ever caught yourself saying that in the quiet of your heart? Lord, don't you care what's going on in my life? You know, there's just so much going on, so many needs. You know, I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed. And yet Jesus didn't seem to think there was anything unfair about the situation that was in front of him. And so when Martha, you know, comes to Jesus and says, hey, Lord, you know, fix this situation. We need some correction here. You know, Martha's way out of line. Well, Jesus brings correction, but not in the way that Martha is expecting, right? Look at verse 41. It says, And Jesus answered and said to Martha, 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 you're worried and troubled about many things. Now, uh, no doubt Martha was expecting, you know, Jesus' next words to be, you know, Mary, Mary, you need to get up and, you know, help your sister out. But, you know, we don't need to confuse what's going on here. Jesus isn't, you know, angry. He's not judging Martha. You know, this is a loving rebuke. He loved Martha. He wanted her to learn from this situation. This is, you know, rather than addressing Mary, Martha is the one who is being corrected here. He he says, you are worried and troubled about many things. And again, as I look at this, I think, you know, this is what I've termed, coined the, the Martha syndrome. And Christians all over the world are suffering from this syndrome today, infected with this condition, the Martha syndrome. You know, and if it's not enough that we have just the normal stresses of life that we deal with on a daily basis. There is a growing lack of quiet in our lives. We are the most connected generation that has ever lived, right? You know, between phone calls and Facebook and FaceTime and Twitter and the internet and You know, we rarely have a moment for ourselves. We were just out in front, you know, talking, uh, me and a couple guys, and and somebody's phone, you know, Siri's yakking out of somebody's phone in their pocket saying, you know, I'm sorry, I don't understand your question. And we're like, where's that voice coming from, you know? Siri, be quiet. You know, we have, uh, in the Cypress Mail uh, recently, there was an article about a growing phenomenon among ch- uh, teenagers, and it is the phenomenon of sleep texting. Kids waking up in the middle of the night, still unconscious, you know, 
texting friends gibberish garble, you know, just nothing makes any sense. But, you know, they're just so in the habit that they can't even get through an entire night's sleep without having to get up and do something on their device. And that's no joke, you know. And there's so much noise, there's so much activity, right, in our lives that we don't have the opportunity just to sit at Jesus' feet anymore. We don't have, you know, a, a moment of quiet in, in our life to be able to soak in God's presence, to hear the Lord's voice. Uh, most of you have seen, or many of you perhaps have seen um, this photograph that I, I couldn't, I just felt it was really adequate for our, our message today. This was an article that was in the paper a month or so ago. And this took place in Redondo Beach. Are you able to bring that up for me? This guy's sitting on his boat, just absorbed in his phone. And there was a professional photographer, you know, who was uh, photographing whales. And he caught this inadvertently as this hump, beautiful, once-in-a-lifetime moment, as this humpback whale just passes by this guy sitting on his boat. And the, um, the, the photographer said that this guy never even looked up at any point. He completely missed the moment. You know, and, and you, you, you groan and you think, oh, what a lost opportunity. And, and, and I think, you know, how many moments have we lost doing the same thing, you know, in our life? Moments with our Savior, moments with Jesus where he was, you know, wanting to say something, wanting, you know, to communicate something to us that was just going to empower us for the day, get us through the week or whatever the case may be. But, you know, we just couldn't make time couldn't, you know, stop long enough from our crazy schedules to enjoy that moment with him. Now look at verse 42. It says, uh, Jesus goes on to tell Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now listen, when Jesus says one thing is needed, as his followers, our ears ought to perk up. Because he doesn't say that often. He, you, know, you don't find that particular phrase used anywhere else in the scripture. Sitting at Jesus' feet. Mary, you know, was able just to stop everything she was doing and sit at Jesus' feet and Jesus said to Martha, Martha, I love you, but you're missing the most important thing that's happening right now. And our capacity to sit at Jesus' feet is, is, you know, key to a vibrant Christian life. And, you know, regardless of what our circumstances or what our situations are that we're facing today, only one thing is needed. Listen, if someone who was an, ex, was an expert in their particular field of work or, or study or whatever the case may be, you know, came to you and said, listen, I want to tell you the one thing that is needed to be the best at what you want to do. 
I mean, we would be all ears. We'd stop everything that we were doing. We would, you know, change our calendars. We would do, uh, take whatever steps were necessary to make time to get that information so that we could be all that we want to be in whatever sphere, you know, that we're interested in. We would do anything in our power, you know, to get a hold of that information. If, you know, if someone, you know, an expert in, you know, family relationships, you know, turned up and, and they were going to show you how to, you know, be the perfect husband or the perfect wife or the perfect parents or whatever the case may be to have a happy family, you know, we would make that time. We would uh, make whatever sacrifices were necessary to get that information. If it was, you know, an expert on finances, you know, we would do whatever was necessary to hear what they had to say. And and the reality is that people spend millions of dollars and countless hours and travel endless distances, you know, to go and to sit at the feet of, you know, these experts in various fields of life. And as with most things, you know, value is determined by the sacrifice a person is willing to make to get a hold of it. Since I've been here in the States, I've been inundated with, you know, the, this television program, The Voice, you know. Seems like everywhere I go, I've been, you know, here in California and Texas, you know, everybody's watching The Voice. And, you know, you've got these musicians who are getting this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right, to work with the experts in their field. And over and over, I keep hearing these artists, you know, saying the same thing. You know, this is the opportunity of a lifetime, and I'm going to do whatever it takes, you know, to make this happen. And I think, you know, how much more should we as Jesus' followers, you know, desire to know what is that one thing that is needed? I mean, he is the author of our salvation, isn't he? He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's the, 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 the judge of all the earth. I mean, he has given us keys to the kingdom of heaven. Heaven and uh, hell are in his hands. Life and death. Are we in the habit? Are we laying hold of that one thing that is necessary? To sit at his feet. The discipline of sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his words. So how do we do that? I mean, you know, we, you know, we don't want to just throw out a bunch of, you know, eloquent cliches. We want something, you know, in this day and age, we need something that's real, right? We need something that's tangible, something that has substance to us, substance to it, something that is going to carry us through the hard times, through the good times, through the thick and the thin. And the amazing thing is, is it's not complicated, right? Uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. The Apostle Paul said something to the Corinthians that keeps coming back to me over and over and over again. He says, To them I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, 
having a vibrant, fruitful Christian life isn't rocket science. And, you know, when Jesus said only one thing is needed, he wasn't mincing words. He meant what he said. Only one thing is, is needed. Our ability to sit at Jesus' feet is crucial. So how do we do that today's day and age? Well, it's like I said, it's not rocket science. Most of it's not going to be new for any of us here tonight. But it is, we're going to see how uh, it's what we do with the information that's going to make all the difference. Today, for you and I, sitting at Jesus' feet includes time in the Word of God, commitment to prayer, and worship. And we could probably, you know, expand that a little bit further, but I think these are three pillars that we're going to focus on this evening. I'm going to move through them quickly because most of us already know this stuff in our heads, right? But let's think about that for a minute. For you and I to learn how to sit at Jesus' feet, it starts with our time in the Word, right? John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. When you and I pick up this book, when we exercise faith as the Spirit of God begins to minister to yours and my life through the Bible, through the Scriptures, uh, we are developing a capacity to hear the voice of Jesus, to hear the Word of God. The Bible tells us that faith comes from hearing hearing the Word of God. And, and guess what? It doesn't matter whether you're a new believer or a seasoned saint. The word of God is still the catalyst of faith for you and I. And it's unfortunate, it's tragic that today that is being undermined in so many uh, spheres of the church. Now, this isn't a call to be a, you know, a theologian. This isn't a call to, you know, go to seminary. It's not, you know, requiring us to, you know, necessarily know how to memorize, you know, huge portions of scripture. But it is a matter of being able to develop an ear that can hear the voice of God when he speaks to us. It is a matter of meditation. It is a matter of having communion with the Lord. Now, unfortunately, statistics tell us that four out of ten Christians read their Bibles only on a weekly basis. Four out of ten Christians will read their Bible on a weekly basis alone, once a week. That's less than 50% of, you know, Jesus' followers have an ear that's tuned to his voice. And we wonder why we have such a hard time discerning, you know, Jesus' voice in this crazy, busy, loud, active world that we live in. It's a beautiful thing as a parent, you know, uh, working in children's ministry, you kind of pick up on this after a while. You know, a a parent can walk into a room filled with a hundred kids. And if their kid cries out in the midst of all that noise, they just, they're able to lock in. That's my child. They're here somewhere. I can hear him calling out my name. You know, there is this paternal instinct, you know, where we're just able to pick up on the subtle nuances of our child's voice in the midst of all this insanity. And that is, you know, essentially what 
we need to be able to do in relationship to uh, hearing Jesus' voice, right? The Bible talks about God having a still, small voice. But we, you know, are challenged to be able to key in, to tune in, or, you know, to lock in to the Lord's voice in spite of all the noise, you know, in spite of the, the, the noise of the world, the noise of our flesh, the noise of the devil, all these different voices. And the only way we're going to get there is through intimacy and familiarity. And the only way we're going to become intimate and familiar with Jesus' voice is to be in his word. Primarily and firstly through time in the word of God. Secondly, prayer, absolutely critical to sitting at Jesus' feet in our modern times. Learning how to talk to the Lord. Again, statistics tell, uh, tell us that the average Christian spends three to seven minutes a day in prayer. And you compare that with the average amount of time that we spend on our phones. Spend in front of a television. Spend on the computer. You know, I mean, to compare those two, uh, you know, three to seven minutes in prayer versus, you know, the hours that we spend in front of our devices. I mean, that's like trying to have this deep, you know, intimate, powerful relationship by just, you know, text messaging somebody. I mean, how's that going to fly, right? Versus a face to face conversation. You know, I mean, that's the kind of prayers, according to these statistics that we're offering up. They're nothing more than text messages, you know. Dear God, can you sort this out for me? And so prayer is absolutely critical, the the discipline of of making, you know, time in our day to pray, making our, our, you know, uh, praying just as we're, uh, you know, going through life. You know, in our family, we, my wife and our daughters and I, we pray a lot in the course of a day. Some people might think we pray too much. I don't know. You know, but I mean, we, we pray over our meals. We pray every time we get in the car. We pray in the mornings when we start the day. We pray in the evenings, you know, when we, when we wrap up the day. Uh, but you know what? That's not, that's still not really what this is talking about. We're not talking about these, you know, um, you know, sh- short kind of, you know, moments together. It- it's, a, it's a heart, it's an attitude, you know, of just communion with God on a regular basis, sitting at Jesus' feet, whether we're at home or at work, in the car, sitting at the traffic light, whatever the case may be. So we have the word of God, we have prayer, and we have worship. Again, these things aren't, you know, new to most of us, but they are critical to what it means to sit at Jesus' feet now and day, to the one thing that is necessary for us in this day and age. Worship is the last thing I want to touch on this evening. True worship and I'm, you know, I don't mean to sound negative or anything, but I'm not talking about listening to Christian music. Because Christian music is like any other kind of music. You listen to it long enough and it just becomes background noise, right? I'm talking about learning how to worship the Lord. You know, a, you know to, to consciously concentrate uh, on God's endless perfections, Right? I was talking with a gentleman just before service out here uh, where he was cleaning the aquarium. And, um, you know, I'm just looking at this little piece, you know, of 
the sea and all the fish that are going on. And he's showing me how all of everything works underneath all these different filtering systems and chemicals and everything. And I'm like, wow, that's a really complicated, you know, system to make this aquarium work. And I said, imagine, you know, God just does that because he can, you know, on a, on a much grander scale. And I, I was just like, you know what? Praise the Lord. You are you're wonderful. Beautiful. Look at all the color and the life and the imagination that goes into that. You know, and, and that ability just to worship the, God, worship the Lord for who he is and what he's done in the course of our day. You know, it's all part and parcel to learning how to sit at Jesus' feet. Now, again, you know, most of you are probably thinking, well, okay, you know, this isn't really that much new. Well, let's keep moving here, and we're going to see what makes the, the big difference. Jesus says of Mary, says to Martha regarding Mary, that, uh, One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. Mary has chosen that good part. Now, this is the point I want to hammer home the most tonight. If you have the Spirit of God residing in your heart, then you know what you need to do to sit at Jesus' feet. You know that you need to be in the Scriptures. You know that you need to be in prayer. You know how important worship is, you know, in, in the life of the, the Christian in the church body. But knowing what to do is rarely the problem for us today. Knowing what to do is rarely the problem. The problem is that we choose not to do it. Why? Because we're busy. Because there's, we're worried, we're troubled, there's so much happening. We choose not to do it. Jesus said, Mary has chosen the good part. And we often will choose to do anything else but to sit down and be quiet at the feet of Jesus. And, you know, granted, the enemy is always right there, you know, nagging us, you know. What are you, lazy? Get up. Go do something, you know. You don't have time to be sitting around doing nothing. He plays on our conscience and, you know, reminds us of what a tight, busy schedule, you know. You've got a family to feed and job to do and responsibilities and everything else. What are you doing? Sitting down reading your Bible. But choosing includes an intentional decision on when, where, and how we're going to accomplish this, to do this one thing that is needed. And it requires sometimes stopping and thinking, you know, okay, I've got this much time when I'm driving to work or, you know, driving between, you know, uh, stops. I've, I've got lunchtime. I've got my break time. You know, sometimes... You know, setting time apart to sit at Jesus' feet in the morning means, you know, thinking about how the night before is going to look. You know, whether you need to turn off the TV early and get, you know, to bed a little bit early so that you can get up and have quiet time, devotional time with the Lord before you start off on another day. Uh, you know, each of us are wired differently. Some of us are morning people. Some of us are night people. But the great thing is, is that there's scriptures for both of us, Right. 
Psalm 31 says, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. You know, before, when you get up out of bed, you know, what's the first thing you reach for? Is it your iPhone? Is it, you know, the space bar on your desktop? See what emails have come in? What's, you know, how many hits I are, how many, you know, posts I got on Facebook? And we need to get out of Facebook and get our face into the book. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> But if you're a night person, there's also a verse for you. Psalm 119, 148. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate upon your word. So, you know, God covers it all. It doesn't matter what kind of person we are, how we're wired. You know, we have to consciously choose to make time to sit at Jesus' feet. So we have that anchoring. We have that vitality that he so desperately wants us to, to, to have. And listen to this last part. This is the the greatest part. He says, Mary has chosen the good part and it will not be taken away from her. It'll not be taken away from her. It won't be taken away from you either. It won't be taken away from me. When I make that effort, to cultivate a lifestyle of sitting at Jesus's feet, learning, you know, uh, you know, to having that intimacy with him, it cannot be taken away from us. Everything else in the world can be. But whether it's the, the peace and the confidence that God gives you, you know, for that particular day, or whether it's the ultimate rewards you'll receive when you stand before God in eternity, it will not be taken away from you. Matthew six nineteen. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is Jesus your treasure? You know, I mean, because we can busy ourselves till we are you know, up to our eyeballs and activity. And it can, you know, be taken away. But the time that we commit to knowing our Savior, sitting in his presence, cannot be taken away. This came home to me very powerfully recently in Cyprus. About two years ago, some of you may recall that Cyprus had a, needed to be bailed out by the um, IMF, the International Monetary foundation uh the the island went bankrupt and the government in order to secure this bailout literally froze all of the bank accounts on the island and took what they wanted if you had over a hundred thousand euros in the bank uh you were prime target and there you know there were people who lost everything you know, they worked their entire lives, you know, building up these fortunes, preparing for their children's future. And they woke up one morning and it was just gone. Just gone, you know, those little digits on the computer screen were just zeros. And there wasn't anything that they could do about it. Oh, I mean, they went and protested in the streets, but they never, you know, didn't make a dent. 
Yeah. You know, and it just goes to show us that when our treasures are here on earth, uh, they don't last. We're not taking any of it with us, right? But the time that we spend in the presence of our Savior, that's going to come back. You're making investments into, you know, your eternal life. Jesus said, promised that what we learn and gain and experience at his feet will never be taken away. Matthew 16, 26, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You know, we strive to succeed, to excel, and to achieve. You know, those things aren't wrong. We're supposed to be, you know, diligent people. As Christians, we should be the best employees or the best bosses or whatever the case may be. But if we lose Jesus in the process, the very thing that we're working so hard for will slip through our fingers like sand. The beautiful thing about this story, just in closing, the beautiful thing about this story is that Mary, like most of us, will never be known in the world's eyes. You know, Mary wasn't known because of her accomplishments. Again, she wasn't known for her spiritual exploits and greatness. She wasn't known for her looks or her big house or her car, her bank accounts or her holdings. She wasn't known because of the circle of friends that she kept. She was known by God because she was a worshiper. She knew how to sit at his feet to worship him, to hear his voice. And, you know, this evening it doesn't matter, you know, whether the world knows us or not. It doesn't matter. The world is passing away and the lusts therein. It doesn't matter what denomination we hang over our head doesn't matter whether, you know, we worship in a church that's, what, how many square feet is we got here? <laughs> how, how about the new place? Yeah, well, you see, square footage is, is irrelevant to God unless it's a place where people can come and sit at Jesus' feet. It just doesn't matter. And when we've come to that place where we've learned how to sit at Jesus' feet, then everything else, our ministry, our service, you know, our, our good works, it's all going to flow out of that relationship. And it's just going to come naturally and peaceably and beautifully. John chapter 4, verse 23 says, The hour is coming Jesus speaking, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Mary chose the good thing. The challenge for us tonight is, will we? So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for, God, everything that you're doing in our lives. Father, we're so fortunate. We have... Lord, been the recipients of the lavishness of your love. We are rich beyond belief, God. 
And yet all of these things, Lord, can prove to be nothing more than a distraction when it keeps us from learning to sit at your feet, learning to love you, to adore you, to hear your voice, and to obey. So, Father, we just pray that tonight, Lord, that we would go out of here as those who are choosing, choosing the good thing, the good part. Give us a hunger for your word, a hunger for prayer, a hunger to worship, Lord, a hunger for you. And anchor us, Lord, for the days ahead. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Amen.